Hey, I'm Nancy Cavey. I'm a nationwide ERISA disability and individual disability insurance attorney. Welcome to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started, I have to give you a legal disclaimer. The podcast is not legal advice. The Florida Bar Association says I've got to say that, so I've said it. But nothing prevents me from giving you an easy-to-understand overview of the disability insurance world, the games that carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So, off we go. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the eight things that you should do before you stop work and apply for your short-term disability insurance benefits. The myths that disability insurance policyholders believe about ERISA and individual disability insurance and the truth. And I'm going to answer listeners' questions. So when we come back, we're going to get started with this episode. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. So are you ready to get started? Let's first talk about the eight things that you should do before you stop work and apply for your short-term disability insurance benefits. Are you having trouble doing your job? Has your doctor told you you can't work? If so, I think it's probably time for you to apply for your short-term disability benefits. So I'm often asked, what are the things that I should do before I stop work and apply for my benefits? Number one, we've got to determine first if you even have short or long-term disability insurance coverage. The easiest way to figure that out is to look at your pay stub for a deduction. And if you can't see a deduction on your pay stub, you might want to contact your HR department and see if you have short-term disability or long-term disability insurance. If you haven't signed up, that can be a problem. Number two, you should get a copy of what's called the summary plan description for both your short-term and long-term disability coverage and a copy of each plan or policy. Now, generally there are one of three ways that an employer is going to offer short-term disability coverage. The first is that they're going to have what's called a self-funded plan, and it's administered by a third-party administrator like Sedgwick. What that means is that your employer pays the short-term disability benefits, but they've delegated the decision whether to pay your benefits to the third-party administrator. The second way that an employer can offer short-term disability coverage is that they are self-funded, but they're administered by your employer. So in other words, they'll have a claims committee that will make the decision whether to pay your benefits. If your employer decides to pay you your short-term disability benefits, it's going to come out of your employer's pocket. It's assets. Now, the third way that short-term disability insurance can be offered is through a disability insurance policy. Under the ERISA law, an employer is required to have a summary plan description that explains the terms and provisions of the short-term disability plan or policy. They're required to have an actual plan or policy, and they have to give you a copy of both the SPD and the plan or the policy. Well, what happens if they don't? If that happens, you can contact my office because I can file a lawsuit in federal court that compels your employer to provide you with that information. 
a federal judge has the discretion to impose a $110 per day fine for every day they don't provide that information. And a federal judge has a discretion to award an attorney a fee at their expense for having to file the lawsuit to get a copy of the plan or the policy that they're required to give to you. So once you get the plan or the policy, I suggest that you read it cover to cover and take out a piece of paper and outline the policy provisions. Now, I think that there are certain terms that you need to pay attention to so you understand the waterfront. How long do you have to be disabled before you collect benefits? That's called the elimination period. So how long do you have to be out of work? Secondly, what's the definition of disability? Next, what's the dis definition of occupation? Um, are there any limits on self-reported or subjective conditions like fibromyalgia or migraines? Are there any limitations on mental nervous claims? Can you collect short-term disability if you were injured on the job? Do you have to use your PTO or leave time before you can collect your short-term disability benefits? Are there any offsets for the receipt of PIP benefits, which are paid if you've been in an auto accident? workers' compensation benefits or social security benefits that you might get in the future? And how long will you be paid those short-term disability benefits? So once we've got the understanding of whether you have coverage um, and what the coverage consists of and any limitations, the next thing you should do, number four, is to find out whether or not your doctor supports your claim and whether they're willing to fill out forms. If not, you need to find a new doctor. It's as simple as that because you can't win a claim without your doctor's support and their willingness to fill out forms. So as I've said, the first four things you should do are one, determine if you've got the coverage, two, get a copy of the summary plan description for both your short and long-term disability coverage and a copy of each and read it cover to cover, outlining it so that you understand the terms of your disability policy and any minefields or bombs that might be waiting for you. And you need to answer the important question of, does your doctor support your claim and are they willing to fill out forms? When we come back, I'm gonna continue with the next four things you need to know. Welcome back. So let's talk about the next four things you should do or know. Now, I think it's crucial that you need to discuss with your doctor your occupation and the specific problems that you're having during your occupation. So go back to that definition of occupation in the policy. How is it defined? Is it how you do your duties for your employer or how those duties are done in the national economy or done pursuant to a book called the Dictionary of Occupational Titles? You need to make sure that you know that definition so that you can write out what it is your occupational duties are and what you're having problems doing or you can't do at all because ultimately your doctor is going to be involved in filling out those forms. If they don't know what your occupation is, it'll be hard for them to answer questions about whether you have restrictions, limitations that prevent you from doing those duties. So number six, 
what do your medical records actually say about your disabling condition or your inability to do your own occupation? Do you need to clean up your medical records? Now, I've seen times where medical records report that the patient says they're fine or they're not having any difficulty or don't comment at all about any problems. Either way, we've got to clean up that mess and we've got to make sure that your records reflect a discussion about your disabling medical condition and the problems you're having doing your occupational duties. Okay, now what are the last two things you need to know or do? Well, I think that you need to understand whether your employer provides what's called collateral benefits. What's that? Well, you might have a life insurance policy, a group health policy, or pension contributions. Do they continue so long as you remain disabled under the company's short and long-term disability plan or policy? Now, if not, you want to make sure uh, that you've got alternative plans for coverage. I think that applying for short and long-term disability benefits is a way to maximize not only your money benefits, but under the terms of your um, your employer's uh, manual, policy manual, is probably the great way and the only way to maintain important benefits such as life and health benefits. Because unless you can pay that premium on your own, you may very well lose those benefits while you're on short-term disability benefits. Number eight, if your claim is denied, and sometimes short-term disability claims are denied, what's the time frame in which you have to file an appeal so that you don't lose not only your short-term disability benefits, but your group health, life, or pension benefits? Now, don't forget that a written appeal of a claim denial generally has to be filed within 180 days of the denial and that the appeal is the trial of your ERISA claim. So you don't want to monkey around with a claim denial, do you? So in summary, the eight things that I think you need to do before you stop work and apply for your short-term disability benefits is to first determine if you even have short or long-term disability coverage. Two, get a copy of the summary plan description for both the short-term and long-term disability coverage and a copy of each plan or policy. Read it cover to cover and outline the STD policy or uh, plan so you know the terms that are uh, relevant in your claim. You need to know what you need to prove before you stop working because it can be too late to develop that proof if you don't know what it is you have to prove. Next, number four, does your doctor support your claim and are they willing to fill out forms? Five, tell your doctor about your occupational duties and the specific problems you're having performing your occupational duties. What does your medical records say about your disabling medical condition and your inability to do your own occupation? And does your employer provide collateral benefits that you uh, want to maintain and, and have to submit proof of your receipt of short-term disability benefits to continue to get those collateral benefits. And if your claim's denied, do you know the time frame in which an appeal has to be filed so that you don't lose not only your short-term disability benefits, but your group health life and pension benefits. In the next segment, we're going to do some myth busting. So what's the myth we're going to talk about? It's if your employer tells the disability carrier that you're disabled, you've won your own occupation claim. Stay tuned. Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? 
you need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com. Welcome to our myth-busting segment, the myths that disability insurance policyholders believe about ERISA and individual disability insurance and the truth. Look, I think my job is to be a myth-buster so that you understand your ERISA and individual disability insurance policy, the ERISA and individual uh, insurance claims process, and the games that disability insurance carriers play to delay or to deny your benefits. You might have even heard from neighbors, friends, or even lawyers and insurance agents myths about the disability insurance claims process or policies. And I hear those myths every day. So we're going to bust some myths. Today's myth is if your employer tells the disability carrier that you're disabled, you've won your own occupation claim. So this is how it goes. Many times I get a call that goes like this. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble doing, doing my job and I'm starting to make mistakes. I just got a bad review and I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. Or my supervisor's been working with me and just came to me and suggested I go on FMLA leave or, or use my sick time. But I think it's just a matter of time before I'm, I'm going to have to quit. What should I do? Well, let's start out by taking a deep breath. And you should do what I suggested in the first segment. Determine if you have short-term uh, disability coverage. Get a copy of the plan description and uh, read it cover to cover. Uh, outline the policy or the plan so you understand the terms, uh, particularly how your policy defines the term occupation. Ask whether your doctor is going to support your claim and be willing to fill out forms. Tell your doctor about your occupation and the specific problems you're having. And Look at those uh, medical records and see what it says about your disabling medical condition and your inability to do your own occupation. So the answer to this myth starts with, I think, talking about the definition of occupation. What does your policy say? Um, is the term occupation defined to mean how your occupation is performed in the national economy, how it's performed um, based on the Dictionary of Occupational Titles description, which, by the way, hasn't been updated in 35 years, um, how your occupation is performed in a local economy or how it's performed specifically for your employer. Um, because you've got to prove that you can't do your own occupation based on that policy definition. So I want to be working backwards. What is the definition of occupation? And I want you to... Um, understand what it is we have to prove about your inability to do your own occupation duties. So when you file a claim, the disability carrier is going to ask you to fill out a form that asks questions about your work activities. Now, I don't think these forms ever accurately ask the right questions because they really don't want to know the right answers. So I always want my clients to do their own version of what the occupational duties are. Um, and ultimately explain why they can't do those duties. Now, the carrier is also going to contact your employer 
and they're going to ask for your job title. They may even ask for a copy of your job description. And there are many, many times when the employer's occupational description doesn't match the reality of what it is you're doing. And as a result, the disability carrier will misclassify or mislabel your occupational duties and deny your claim because they thought you were doing something different than what you were actually doing. Now, I think that as you're preparing your description of your occupational duties based on the definition of own occupation in the policy, that you think backwards. Well, what do I mean by thinking backwards? What is it that you can't do physically, psychiatrically, or socially? And make sure that you describe those duties even if you aren't asked to. So now that we know what the definition of own occupation is, and now we know why you're having particular problems, the question becomes, does your doctor support your claim? And do the medical records even mention, much less discuss, the physical, psychiatric, or social problems you're having? And as I've said many times before, if not, find another doctor. And you're going to have to delay your claim until you can get a doctor who understands the disability claims process and is willing to support your claim. The, um, this is crucial that you do that now and not later. And why do I say now? Because look, if you're actually having problems doing your occupational duties, as some of the calls are that I get, you can get terminated. And if you get terminated, you're going to lose your disability benefits, your life insurance benefits, and your health insurance benefits. It's gone. Poof. It's gone. So unless you were working while you were disabled and had an appropriate reduction in your wages or no wages at the time you were terminated, you have no coverage and no claim. Now, if you smell furlough or you smell a termination in the air, get your medical records in shape and have your doctor take you out of work before you get fired or furloughed because you want to apply for your short-term disability benefits before any of that happens. Now, your employer may be asked if they support your claim or they may be asked, um, or you may ask them to give them a letter saying that you're disabled and you can't do your occupational duties. Well, unfortunately, that doesn't mean the carrier is going to agree and send you a check. The carrier is going to look at the definition of occupation and not what your employer says your occupation is and whether you can do it or not. Now, certainly the support of your employer will help, but it's not going to mean that you're automatically going to get your benefits. If the definition of own occupation is the occupation is performed by the employer, then I think that that's going to be helpful. But it also can be dangerous if there's a disagreement between you and your employer about what your occupation is and your duties. So I think it's best to be on the same page with your employer, uh, your supervisor, the HR department about your occupational duties before you stop working and apply for benefits. So the truth is, in my view, Unless the definition of disability is an inability to perform your own occupation as it's performed for your specific employer, the disability carrier doesn't care if your employer says you can't work or do your own occupation. Next week, we're going to take on the next myth, myth number four. If your doctor writes a note that you're disabled, the disability carrier will overnight FedEx you, express mail, deliver to you personally a check. In the next segment, I'm going to be answering questions that we've gotten from our listeners. So stay tuned.
Well, the first question I've gotten is, my insurance company sent me a reimbursement agreement. Do I have to sign it? The short answer is yes. Why? Well, many disability policies will require that you apply for Social Security disability benefits. Uh, and if you don't, uh, they're going to assume as that you're getting those benefits and they're going to deduct those Social Security benefits from your check, regardless of whether you're getting them or not. But uh, the um, disability policy has a specific provision in it that generally will say that uh, if they are overpaid, they're entitled to reimbursement. And that is an enforceable right. Uh, courts all across the United States have found that disability insurance carriers do have the right to be reimbursed. Now, there's a strategy behind the reimbursement. What do I mean by that? Uh, many times when a person is awarded Social Security disability benefits, that coincides with a two-year change in definition from their own occupation to any occupation. And guess what the carrier does? They deny benefits. And so I say to my clients, well, I want you to put that check that you got from the Social Security uh, Administration for those retroactive benefits in a, um, a, a separate checking account. And, and we will deal with that as part of the uh, appeal and uh, uh, ultimate resolution of your case. Now, some lawyers may disagree with me and they may say, well, look, go ahead and spend the money. And if you dissipate the that money into an asset that's not traceable or seizable, like a car, uh, you're fine spending the money. Well, I would say to you that I humbly and respectfully disagree with you. And the reason I would disagree with that is because uh, there is, for example, in the uh, um, Middle District of uh, Florida in the Tampa area, a decision from a judge that said, okay, well, she dissipated the assets. Uh, you know, she used it for her uh, car insurance and food and rent. But by the way, I'm ordering you to pay those benefits that you owe her, you know, um, but you get to deduct from her future benefits that overpayment in addition to reducing her benefits by the ongoing receipt of Social Security benefits. So, I mean, I think that, that, uh, spending the money uh, can can backfire in in some cases uh, so that's my general my answer um, so the next question that i got um, is my insurance company says i can perform my own occupation but they're using the wrong job description why well we covered that uh in the myth section and that is because um they are looking at your description of your occupational duties or what your uh, employers provided. And their in-house vocational rehabilitation counselor is doing an analysis of the uh, occupation. And sometimes there's not a, a, a pure fit. Uh, and so the vocational evaluator will look at a composite of jobs and come up with a description that may have nothing to do with your actual occupational duties. On the other hand, uh, there are times when the carrier's vocational evaluator will just absolutely misconstrue what it is you're doing and and improperly classify it. And if that happens, guaranteed you're going to get a denial and guaranteed you should appeal that decision because I think that is something uh, that uh, carriers um, need to correct. And generally they do correct that once we point out the, uh, the error. Um, Next question, and the last question that I got was, my doctor doesn't want to complete any disability forms. What should I do? Now, again, I think I've discussed this before, but uh, what's important is that 
um, you need a doctor that will support your claim and you need to find that out before you apply for benefits uh, because if you apply for benefits and your doctor doesn't support your claim the carrier is going to say hey if your doctor doesn't support the claim why should we pay benefits and then they'll seize upon that because they'll have their peer review doctors agree with your doctor that you know that you, that you can work um, and so the, the the case is lost and if the doctor doesn't fill out a form then what will happen is the carrier can ask for an independent medical evaluation which is not independent or they'll have their liar for hire peer review doctors do their own hocus pocus uh, analysis of your medical records and conclude that you can engage in some level of activity that would preclude them from paying uh, your benefits so the fact that your doctor isn't willing to complete any disability form plays right into the disability carrier strategies in denying your claim so I hope that you've enjoyed our uh, podcast that wraps it up for today. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do so. And I appreciate it if you'd leave a, a rating or review for us. See you next week. Take care.